0: If you brought your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you have, turn with me to the book of Numbers. To the book of Numbers, to the uh, 23rd chapter of the book of Numbers. I want to read to you just two verses. Two verses from uh, a story in the book of Numbers. uh, The story about uh, Balaam and Balak and the cursing of, of Israel. Uh, and so anyways, it, it really, uh, like I mentioned last week, I, I'm trying to learn my lesson. I didn't really even tell you the story last week, and I still, still ran long. Uh, I definitely can't tell you the whole story today. Uh, I'm coming to the conclusion I just can't say everything I want to say. And so anyways, um, that's all right. Uh, I'll just say exactly what God wants me to say, needs me to say, and that's it. Uh, But anyways, if you want this afternoon, uh, Numbers chapter 22 through probably chapter 24 uh, covers this story. Uh, And I'm just going to give you a little brief background to get you where we need to be. But first, we want to read our scriptures and pray. Uh, Numbers chapter 23, verse 25 and 26. Verse 25 says, And Balak said unto Balaam, Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. But Balaam answered and said unto Balak, Told not I thee, saying, All that the Lord speaketh, that I must do. Hear that. His response to Balak, king of Moab, is All that the Lord speaketh, That I must do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you here this morning, Lord, desiring the same thing uh, that I just read in your word. All that you speak, all that you want us to do, that's all that we want to do. That in that alone. And Lord, that's my heart's desire for this service here this morning. So Lord, my prayer this morning is is that you would just move in our midst in a mighty way. God, that you'd stir our hearts, Lord, that you'd draw us to you. Lord, my prayer this morning is is that you would... uh, Lord, you know all the needs that are here. There's nothing here that's a surprise or a shock to you. And so, Lord, I'm just praying, Lord, that you would move in our midst in a mighty way. Lord, that you'd meet every need that is here. God, that you'd lift up and encourage those that need to be lifted up and encouraged. God, that you would... uh, uh, Those that have... uh, let some things creep into their life, in their heart, in their minds, Lord. That doesn't belong there. That doesn't please you. That doesn't bring you glory. Any that have, that have dwelled on sin or living in sin, God, I pray that you'd convict them and that you wouldn't give them any peace until they'd repent and get things right with you, Lord. If there's any here that are backslidden, any that doesn't know you, any that have fallen away, any that have never known you, whatever the case may be, God, my prayer is, is that you would move in a mighty way, Lord, Lord and that you wouldn't let up until they'd get things right with you because that is the most important thing in this life is our walk with you our relationship with you and so Lord I'm just praying right now that you would just have your way and your will in the remainder of our service and Lord I'm asking not only that you would give each one of us ears to hear what you would say by your spirit eyes to see what it says in your word, hearts to do what we hear and see today. But pray also, Lord, that I would be a faithful messenger of your word. And Lord, I know I got nothing to say lest you give it to me. I got nothing worth saying lest you give it to me. So clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words, and place on my tongue the very things that you'd have me to say here this morning. Lord, my heart's desire is for everyone to know that they've heard from you, heard your word, your message, not mine. And so, Lord, have your way and your will. Lord, we just desire that you'd move by your sweet Holy Spirit. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Balaam is a prophet in the Old Testament. Uh, I guess if you would want to say that there is major characters in the Bible and minor characters, characters. Uh, Balaam would be a minor one, meaning that we don't read a lot about him, but we read a little bit about him. He is mentioned in a few different places, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. I would say pretty much most of the references are negative. About the best ones you'll find is right here in this section of scripture. Uh, Probably, not probably, I think the best thing that he ever said that's recorded in all the scripture, I just read to you. And so anyways, just to give you a quick, brief overview, what happens is, is the nation of Israel has been in bondage. They've been slaves in Egypt. They've been in Egypt for 400 years. They've been slaves for the last big part of that time. Uh, they have come to the point that God, through Moses, is leading them out uh, in the whole book of Numbers as part of the 40 years that they spend wandering in the wilderness. Now as they wander in the wilderness and, and you think about it, them marching from Egypt to, to the promised land, present day Israel, right? It's not that long of a, of a march. I forget, I've heard people say before you walk it in a couple weeks or maybe not even that long, I don't remember, but they spend 40 years and it's because of their unbelief they spend that 40 years wandering in the wilderness so you can imagine that there was a lot of going in circles while they were out there. And they went through several different other nations, right? The nation of, of, of Amlach and, and, and Moab and, and, you know, there's several they go through. Here's the thing. They were supposed to conquer and take the land of Canaan, all right? God had given that over to them, was given that to them. And that's what was going to happen, right? That's what we're starting to study in, in Sunday school, right? As Jennifer's taking us through the book of Joshua. But the nations that they go through on the way there, they weren't supposed to bother them and and the the nations weren't supposed to bother them. They were supposed to leave each other alone. They weren't supposed to fight. They weren't supposed to take their land. But you see, what happens is, is uh, these kings see this two million plus people, right, marching out of Egypt, this nation that was birthed inside of a nation, right? They hear about the mighty miracles that is performed, right? Egypt is the superpower of the day and they have... Plain just wipe the floor with Egypt, right? A bunch of slaves, right, who ain't gonna be nothing but shepherds or farmers, right? I mean, they don't have weapons and things like that. And they have mocked the floor with Egypt, right? Pharaoh's dead, Pharaoh's army is dead, they is the, the thousands of chariots in the bottom of the Red Sea, right? And so, I mean, that's what's behind them. And in these countries, you're hearing stories of this thing, and they think, oh my goodness, they're gonna wipe out everybody as they go through and take and take us out. So they're all upset and and, and they're, you know, concocting plans and things like that and what they're going to do and how they're going to handle this and and so on and so forth. And so Balak, king of Moab, he decides he's going to hire this prophet by the name of Balaam that lives up in Peorah by the Euphrates River, which is, if you look at a map, it's quite a ways away from Moab. And anyways, he's going to hire him to come and and he's heard that whenever this prophet Balaam curses somebody, it tends to work. It tends to take. And and so anyway, so what what he wants uh, Balaam to do is he wants Balaam to come down and and, and put a curse on him. Think of it that way, All right, That's kind of the way they thought of things and saw things and that's what he's wanting him to do. Now the thing about, and I'll just say this for real quick. As you read this story, it's easy to kind of get tangled up in this because sometimes it sounds like Balaam maybe maybe he you know worships God and follows God and then other times you you know it don't sound kind of right. And so anyways, I think the bottom line is, is I think that he does worship God, but I don't think that's the only God that he worships. Now that's my take on it. You take it for what it's worth. But, anyways, this is where you have, and I'm not going to go into the details of it, but he goes and, and, and King Balak sends messengers to Balaam with money to hire him to come uh, to, to, to come curse Israel, and Balaam won't do it, right? Because God comes to him at night and talks to him and tells him, Look, you know, I've blessed these people. You can't go curse them. Don't you dare do it. And so, anyways, and, and there's a whole series of events. That's where you get the story of, of, of the, of the talk, uh, talking donkey. Uh, you know, I always think it's funny uh, because uh, uh, there's different critics of Christianity and of the Bible will take that story and say, well, there you go, talking animals in the Bible. They'll use it to- God to mock Christianity, to mock the Bible, to mock us, you know, for believing, right? You believe in talking animals. I've heard that several times. Uh, one thing I want you to understand as you go through and as you read that, that is God speaking through that donkey, right? And, and so if you don't take anything else from it, understand here this morning that if God could speak through that donkey, or. Three thousand years ago, he could speak through this donkey standing up here in front of you right now. Okay, and so, anyways, uh, that is what uh, uh, that that's what we see that is happening there. And listen to me, that was just as a uh, you know we we would think that is just crazy for an animal to talk today, right? Well, that was just as crazy for them that day and that time, right? God was trying to get his attention, which he did. I think the interesting part of that is the, is the donkey has got more spiritual... Uh, insight or a more spiritual sight is more spiritually perceptive than what Balaam is. But anyways you have that whole incident right and you got the whole incident like when he gets there And, and it's interesting how you know Israel's in camp they don't even know what all's going on behind the scenes right. They don't know how the devil is trying to come after them and destroy them right. That's who's behind it. It's amazing. There's a good lesson there for us too you know. We don't often realize what all's going on behind the scenes and how the old devil right the enemy he is working to take us out and take us down but yet God, there is God all along preventing it from happening, right? God blessing, right? God taking care of them. You see that, right? Balak uh, takes Balaam up on several different hills looking over Israel and say, see there? Uh, curse them and he wouldn't do it, right? So he'd take him up on another hill, right? So he could see it from another point of view and he says there, see them now? Uh, you know, now curse them. And anyways, he, was, he doesn't do it. Every time he goes to open his mouth, God's speaks through him and prophesies nothing but blessings. And finally, at this point that I just read to you, Balak says, well, just shut up and don't say nothing then. If you're not going to curse them, don't bless them either. Now, there's more to the story. Go home and read the rest of it. It's pretty good. And then once you've read chapters 23, 22 through 24, go over and read chapter 31 also. That tells about Balaam's death whenever he dies. Anyways, right here in this, Balaam's answer to Balak, when Balak says, if you're not going to curse them, don't bless them either, just shut up. Balaam says, I can't do anything, now this is in my own words, I can't do anything but what God wants me to do. Right, I, I can't I can't not say anything but what God speaks to me to say. Right? He says that's what I must do. In other words, he's saying that it is mandatory. And that's the thought. There, I, there, is, there is a lot of biblical truth in that little statement right there. Right? I can't do... Um, Let me read it to you again here. All that the Lord speaketh, that I must do. I want to use that to preach to you this morning a great truth from the word of God. There are certain things that the Lord has said that we must do. It is absolutely mandatory. And I want to give you a little hint when you're looking through the Bible. Right? There is a word in the Bible that gives us a clear indication. Now, you've got to read it in context and understand what it's saying. But there, there's a word that should clue you in and look a little closer and see if that's what it's saying. Right? And that this principle of it being mandatory is being taught. That word is accept. Right? Let's me. let let's go through some examples here this morning before, before I shut up and quit for the day. It's man- Let me just go ahead and make my first point. It's mandatory that God be with us. Hear what it says in Genesis chapter 31. Genesis chapter 31. I'm not going to read the whole stream. I'm just going to read one verse to you. Verse 42 says, Except... The God of my father, the God of Abraham, in the, <clears throat> in the fear of Isaac, had been with me. Surely thou hadst sent me away, now empty. God has seen my affliction in the labor of my hands, and rebuked thee yesternight. Jacob is talking to his father-in-law, his father-in-law Laban. And Laban has tried every way in the world to do Jacob dirty. And he is saying, you would have got away with it. You would have pulled it off, except that God was with me. Except that God was with me. Listen to me. The words that he is saying here in this verse ring true in the lives of every Christian today. Except God be with us, we will surely fail. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what he's saying. If God had not been with me, I would have failed. Right? If I'd have been on my own, I would have failed. If, except God be with us, we will surely fail. It's mandatory that God be with us, right? We live in an impossible world today, and there seems to be no way that a person can get by. I mean, just, just think about what it takes to get by day to day, right? Do you understand how crazy inflation is today? Do you realize how high, how expensive things is, from the things that you go in the grocery store to buy to Property, go try to buy a house or, or a piece of property. I, I I feel, especially for young people that are just getting started out, you know, and, and trying to try, trying to pay to go to school and, and, and trying to put groceries on the table and trying to buy them a house and things like that. It just it's just impossible, right? Our dollar is just practically worthless. You know, I, I, I'm not mean to get on a soap, bop, a soap box soapbox and I'll be done in just a second. But you know, I was just thinking about this. My grandmother come up in the uh, in the era of the Depression, and, and she was pretty influential in my life. As a matter of fact, I lived with her last few years before me and Jennifer got married, and so anyways, boy, she was one. She always had money in her savings account. She never made very much money, but she could save. It didn't matter how little she made, she could save money, and she always did save money. I mean, you, you could... You know, her check could have been cut to whatever. She'd still figure out a way to save money. She'd come up in that era, all right? And it was so important. But you got to understand, there's a big difference between then and now. During the Great Depression was a time of deflation. Dollars w- actually become worth more. We're in a time of major inflation, right? A- and I think about this often. Why in the world uh, save paper dollars when they just print more and more, right? And they're more worthless and more worthless, right? There's other things that that, that we need to be putting more value, or that has more value, a its value, that you need to put your savings into. You need to be saving, but not the same way you used to. But I'll tell you this right now. The most valuable thing is the soul, and that's what I'm trying to get at. That's worth more than all them worthless paper dollars that's getting to be uh, more worthless every day. And if you find something, you think a whole value like gold or something like that, it is still nothing compared to the soul, right? The soul of man, the value of the soul of man. I think about this when I think about gold, the most valuable, right, precious stone here on earth that we base you know, so much of our currency the world has throughout history, right? And here God, the Bible talks about streets of gold. God is paving the the new Jerusalem, right? He's paving the streets of heaven with it. His economy is a little bit different than ours. But still when I was talking about it, it's almost impossible to get by and thinking about how crazy things are today and it just seems impossible except God. Right? All things are possible with Him. In fact, He is the only hope we have. And if we're to do anything worthwhile, we must have Him with us. Right? He is strength. He is our help in times of trouble. He is our rock. He is our shelter from the storm. He's our heavenly father. He is the God of comfort, right? He is the God of blessings. He's the God of answered prayer. He is the healer, the great physician. He is our hope. He is our savior. He is our Lord. He is our protection, right? He is our provision. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say he he is our all and all he is all that we need right to try to go through this life in this old world without him is to fail to try to face your troubles and the trials that you meet the opposition and the things that you face right without him is to meet defeat every time you study Israel and we're starting it in Joshua and they go through to take the promised land the times that they try to go to battle without God is the times that they lose every time. I'm telling you here this morning to try to make it on your own without God is to go it alone right? And we are blind without his sight and we are weak without his strength and we are prey without his, uh, uh, his power. What do you think the Bible's talking about when it tells us our adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour right? And that and Analogy, Satan is the predator and we are the prey, right? And without God, right, that's what we are. We are prey without his power, right? We have nothing without his provision unless he gives it to us, right? We must have him with us. It's mandatory. And I think how sad are those that walk in this cruel, hard world without the presence and help of God. That's what I mean when I say it's mandatory that God be with us. There's no other option if you're going to make it through this thing. Let me give you another one. Did you notice when Ellen read her scriptures this morning that that word, except, appeared there? It did. Uh, She was reading about when Jacob wrestles with God all night and in, in, Jacob says an interesting thing in verse 26 of what she read and, and he said let me go for the day breaketh and he said right this is what Jacob said I will not let thee go except thou bless me it's mandatory that we have God's blessings let me ask you a question do you think the enemy wants to bless you you think the old devil wants to bless you I'll guarantee he doesn't, right? The Bible tells us in John 10, 10 that the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he's come for, right? He's wanting to take you down. He's wanting to make you as miserable as possible. He is wanting to ruin you. He's wanting to steal every bit of joy, every uh, peace, everything from you. He doesn't want to bless you. This is his aim and purpose in this world, right? And, and the proof is everywhere. All you got to do is just look around. Look, the drugs, crime, uh, immorality, drunkenness, rebellion. Uh, I mean, just look around. Look at the rate of suicide, overflowing uh, institutions, you name it. Satan is still walking to and fro in this world seeking whom he may devour. And he is devouring many. And many of these are people we care about, are kids and, and grandkids and, and loved ones and neighbors and people that we care about. The verse that we that Ellen read to us while in Genesis, it teaches us the truth that we are to seek the blessings of God in our lives and we are not to be satisfied until we have them. As a matter of fact, it's mandatory that we have the blessings of God on our homes. Listen to me. The homes of America are in trouble. Marriages are failing, children are out of control, and many are taking their own lives. People are living wicked lives and throwing away their future. Why? Because they will not seek the blessings of God. They're too busy uh, for God. Their lives are consumed with the world and with pleasure and and, and the quest for more stuff, right? Uh, Really anything, right? They're, they're, They're seeking, they want, they desire anything but God. Go ahead. Fill your home and your life with everything but God. And see how that works out for you. You will one day find out that you have nothing. It's mandatory that you have the blessings of God in your life. You need it for yourself and for those who are around you who are depending on you. And we've got to we're just like Jacob, we need to seek it and not let up until we get it. Let me give you another one real quick. It's mandatory. Mandatory that a person be saved. Jesus says in John chapter 3 and verse 3, one night to Nicodemus, he says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Right? If you're going to see the kingdom of God, it's mandatory that you be saved. Right? In other words, if you're going to go to heaven, right? If you're going to spend eternity with God, there may be some that think that they're going to heaven, but I'm telling you here this morning that unless... They have been born again. They are sadly mistaken. The word of God, which cannot lie, says except you be born again. Except you be born again, right? So unless you're born again, you will go to hell and burn forever in the lake of fire. And that lake of fire wasn't prepared for you, wasn't prepared for them, was prepared for the devil and his angels. That's not just my opinion. That's what God said. That's why I'm saying it's mandatory that you be born again, that you be saved in order to avoid that fate. There is no other way around it. Look, we we have many that convince ourselves of all kinds of things, right? We convince ourselves that we're not that bad. We convince ourselves that God really won't allow anybody to go to hell, right? We convince ourselves that there are many paths, right? We, We convince ourselves of all these things. But I'm telling you right now, every one of us has got to realize that we are a sinner. You've got to realize that you... Are a sinner, the Bible says in Romans three twenty three for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. The next thing that you've got to realize is you don't have to go to hell. Nobody has to go to hell. God made a way. He made a way for you, for me, for everyone who would believe. That's why it says in John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him... Should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died for our sins. That is the plan of God. And for us to go to heaven, and listen to me, we won't go any other way. Jesus is the only way. That's why it says in John chapter 14, verse 6 Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's mandatory. It would be a shame to live on this earth and experience all the troubles and hardships, right? I mean, think about it. What a shame would it be to live your entire life on this old earth and go through and face all of the trouble and hardship that the devil and the world and other people throw at us to only then die and go to hell and burn forever. Think about it. Think how sad and miserable, right? And so many people think that they're living it up and having a good time, but actually they're the most miserable of all men. Listen to me. But that is exactly what will happen if you do not turn to Jesus for forgiveness of your sins. You see, it's mandatory. There is no other way. And then one more, and I'll quit for now. It's mandatory that we repent. Man, that's one I see come up. I even, several years ago, there was... Somebody, they didn't live around here. I think they lived in Texas or something like that. But they, I guess as many papers as they could afford to. They bought, I, I, I can't remember if it was a quarter page, half page. I don't think it was a whole page. But right here, in uh, it, back then it was the Mountain Grove News Journal. And the gist of what they put in there was that you don't have to repent. You don't have to repent to get saved. You don't have to repent to go to heaven. There's a problem with that. That appeals to the flesh right? That appeals to us, right? Nobody likes to admit that they're wrong, right? Nobody likes to go and and, and ask for forgiveness, right? It appeals to our human nature. But the problem is, is it's not what the Bible says. Jesus himself told them in Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, he said, except ye repent, you will all perish. When he says perish, she's talking about hell. spending an eternity in hell. Except ye repent. Every single person must repent and turn from their sins and turn to Jesus in order to be saved. It's mandatory. There is no other way. Did you realize that those who are saved Still, there's times, right, Christians, there's times that you still got to repent also. I mean, you can't remain in sin. You can't do it. God will not allow you, right? He, He will not allow that in the lives of those who are saved. That sin becomes a wedge separation between you and God. And the only way you'll get that wedge out of there, that thing that is separating you, that sin, that's coming between you and God, cutting you off from God, right? in, in what is it, Isaiah 59, uh, 1 and 2, where, where it tells us that God's hand is not so shortened that he cannot hear, or I mean, his ear, he's not so hard of hearing that he can't hear, and his hand's not so short that he can't reach down and, 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 and save us still yet, but it is our sins, our iniquities that's come between us and him it's a reason that he doesn't hear? Listen to me. If you're here today and you got sin in your life and you claim to be saved, to be a Christian, you must repent of that sin. It's mandatory. Listen to me. It is mandatory. I'm not, and I'm not talking about what you or I think is sin, it doesn't matter, right? right? In our minds, we think, of, we think of sin wrong, right? So if we're not careful, we slip into the mindset that whatever I think is wrong is sin, and what I don't think is, is wrong is okay. And we justify all kinds of things that way. So I'm not talking about what you or I label as wrong or sin. I'm talking about what the Bible the word of God. What God Himself says is sin. Listen to me, Christians. Your sins, they will find you out. Somehow, some way, somewhere along the way, your sins will find you out. And it will cost you more. Then you can bear to pay. I will guarantee you. And when it does. Your testimony. It will perish. Your health. It will perish. Your peace. It will perish. Your joy. Yeah that will be gone too. That will perish too. Your blessings. They will perish. Except you repent. Except you you repent. Jesus says, except you repent, you will all perish. I don't know. I've got more, but that's enough for now. I don't know where you stand this morning. I don't know what might be going on in your life, what you might be dealing with. Honestly, yeah, I don't even know your spiritual condition are you right with God no I mean are you truly right with God I don't mean have you just convinced yourself you're probably okay I spent a whole bunch of years of my life having convinced myself that God will look the other way he'll wink at my sin I'm asking are you really right with God are things really right? Is there sin in your life that you need to repent of and you need to get out of there? Are you saved? My goodness, if you're not saved, today's the day. Thank the Lord He gave you this opportunity, but no guarantee He'll give you another one. What about the blessings of God? Are you experiencing them in your life? Do you have His blessings? Have you sought Him for His blessings on your home and on your family? What's your relationship like with the Lord? Where do you stand? Can you say that God's with me? And if it wasn't for God being with me, I'd be a mess and things would be a mess? Would you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you an opportunity to come. If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, you come on. Whatever it might be, don't you miss this opportunity. Spirit of God dealing with you if he's drawing you. Don't stand back there and worry what other people think. It don't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter what you've told other people at times in the past. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is what God thinks. So I'm asking you, Spirit of God dealing with you. He drawing you. You just come right on.